0: Being the Worst, episode 15, recorded Tuesday, November 13th, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst Podcast, audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman, with your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdullah. In this episode, Carrie and Renat discuss new ways to reuse and benefit from our modeling efforts. This includes using our messages to test any serializer, auto-generating diagrams of our current design, and giving our domain its own command prompt. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. All right, welcome back to the Being the Worst podcast. Uh, This is Carrie, and I've got Renat on the line. Uh, I just got back from Seattle in the Build Conference, and Renat, you've been all over the place in South Africa and all that stuff. I'm glad you're still in one piece, and uh, I'm not even exactly sure what we're talking about today, so why don't you fill us in?
1: Okay, uh, let's keep uh, the lions and amazing South African nature part, because I can talk about that for hours, and will totally blow up the time cap of 25 minutes, and for this episode, I want to talk about a few of the things about design and stability that I myself encountered uh, only recently. And these things, they help immensely when you're building and developing relatively complicated systems, especially systems with complicated messaging setups or with client-server setups. Uh, And some of them play rather nicely with aggregates with event sourcing block. And actually to cover one more topic before we uh, move forward, so aggregates with event sourcing. It's one of the building blocks of uh, systems at Locad. Mm -hmm. It's uh, not a silver bullet as we have been mentioning many times before. It's just a set of concepts that come with uh, certain methodologies that link uh, really well with domain-driven design that are closely related to the immutable systems and append-only systems. And they come with a few practices. So it's about some of the practices we'll be talking about today. Okay. Okay, uh, one of the things it will be included uh, in the sample for this podcast episode, and I've been mentioning it previously, it's uh, the ability to use specifications, which we have already put quite a bit of effort in uh, coding uh, for some other purposes, not just for printing human-readable documentation or unit testing the behaviors. One additional usage is ability to use them to make sure that the generated contracts are perfectly serializable uh, given the setup of serializers that you are using so if you go to the main test project mm-hmm. and uh, specifically test message serialization
0: the uh, test message serialization.cs file okay
1: uh, cs file is not runnable uh, by the like the uh, main.test it has built in uh, console runner mm-hmm. that you can invoked by running tests, uh, by starting this project as a console. However, this uh, test message serialization class and fixture, uh, it will not be picked up by this lame console runner that I've added because it uses slightly more complicated uh, features of an unit framework. And in order to run it, you'll need to use an unit GUI runner. Or if you have ReSharper, then you can use built-in ReSharper runner.
0: Okay, so I, if I launch, I'm i launching in unit uh, as a standalone right now, what should I do?
1: So uh, then you should uh, launch a fixture called test Message realization. And uh, the reason why actually this runner, our default console runner, will not be able to pick up this specific unit test properly is because we're using something called data source, t- data source for unit tests. In essence, this fixture, it's kind of micro framework on, on its own. It generates a set of test cases on the fly by scanning for all available specifications. And out of each specification, it gets samples of data. So it gets samples of all commands and samples of all events. And these samples are guaranteed to be like not some random uh, uh, noise and junk, but samples with real data, with real setups, because they have been used in uh, test cases. And then for each of the samples, like the test fixture, it groups them by type, and for each type of message, if it's command or event, it finds a few data samples. And then it takes each data sample and it runs for one of the serializers. And then it compares the data that before the serialization and after the serialization and serialization to find if there are any discrepancies. So in in whatever episode sample uh, the sample would be associated, Mm -hmm. uh, using just data contract serializer. The serializer is registered in the static method called register serializers. So you can have multiple serializers there. And at Locad, I'm usually registering two distinct serializers, one of them being Google Protobuf and the other one uh, being JSON serializer. Mm -hmm. And this ensures that the commands and events, their contracts that are generated by the DSL tool Uh, they will be properly serializable using these contracts. And actually, this helped to find quite a few bugs early on. For instance, uh, we found out that JSON doesn't persist uh, date time offset. And this uh, information is getting lost within the serialization serialization process. So uh, this forced us to start being more conscious about UTC dates and uh, time offsets. And by adding this one single uh, test fixture we get magically covered all uh, contracts and events that are available there. Hmm. As long as you're adding new specifications or uh, adding new cases to the specifications, this test fixture for message serialization, it will be automatically growing.
0: Okay, well, why don't we take a second to school me and anyone else listening who's like not Mr. NUnit. So after I downloaded your source code and built it in Visual Studio, I obviously got a bunch of DLLs and an EXE output. And when I launch NUnit as a standalone application, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to open up to be able to do anything useful.
1: I'll try either file open, as I remember, or even try drag dropping uh, main test DLL into this uh, GUI.
0: Okay, yeah, there is a file open project and it lets me like pick an assembly. I just didn't know which assembly in the debug folder to pick. <laughs> well, in, in the sample code, when I, I just, you know, in Visual Studio, I built like four projects. It spit out domain.dll, domain.test.exe.
1: Uh, pick up the.test.exe. The okay. It's ex- ex- it is executable uh, because uh, we've converted this test library into, like, sending dead that simple console runner in the earlier episodes Oh, Two people with uh, NUnit going.
0: Okay, yeah. Now, so NUnit picked that up. It let me pick the exe, and it, you know, in its GUI, it's listing all the uh, stuff. And I see test underscore message underscore serialization in there.
1: And within that uh, test message serialization, it's actually, it should unwrap. It will have two uh, root tests. Messages should be present and serializers should be present. And there should be something that contains multiple commands and events. Yep, there is. So it should work for. Yep, so these are actually auto-generated. These tests are generated on the fly. By what? That by, class. Yeah, by the, by this uh, well framework quote unquote message uh, <laughs> serialization.
0: I see. Cool. Uh, so if I run it,
1: cool. it works. In- yeah, they're all passing. Yeah. So, for instance, if it prints uh, on your display the same way that it prints in a Sharper unit test session, for instance, it would say that uh, there was a test called serialization should work for assign employee to factory X4 four times. Yep. Uh, it means that it scanned all specifications, and within these specifications, uh, command assigned employee to factory was uh, showing up four times. It took all four uh, data samples and it's uh, grouped into them into one test. And then it ran each of the test samples through the data contract serializer. Hmm. If you specified multiple sterilizers, then it would take the data sample and run them through all the sterilizers. And if there is a problem, then it would show up which serializer failed and which fields are different, which fields actually didn't make it for the round trip.
0: I see. Cool.
1: OK. So uh, that's one relatively simple trick. Let's do something more interesting. If you go to fixture called document fixture. Document uh, fixture. Yep. So uh, there is quite a bit of code there, but let's try running uh, the test.
0: Okay. So in the end unit, I'm just picking the document fixture. and There's one thing under it called test, and I'm just hitting run.
1: Okay. Uh, it will print relatively complicated file. Yep, it did. This uh, text file is actually a digraph which is built in the format of GraphWiz. GraphWiz is an open source project that helps to automatically diagram all kind of graphs that you can explain with text. (laughs) Uh, And if you actually downloaded GraphWiz on your machine, uh, installed it, started it, and then clicked uh, file open, and try to open uh, contents of this test result into the GraphWiz. You can do that by, for instance, copying this text into a dot file file with extension dot, saving it somewhere and opening it with GraphWiz. You will see a really nice image which will be included in the episode samples and which I sent you earlier.
0: So GraphWiz is an, uh, an external application which we'll have a link to in the show notes. And if you had that installed, I would take this output, of N unit, for example, and literally paste it into some notepad file and save it with is it literally dot dot or is it dot, like period? DOT. Okay. And uh,
1: at the end of this uh, test method, there is uh, something saying as file write all text. In this case, it's z downloads graph dot. Mm-hmm. And it's wrapped into something that you should normally never do in your production code. It's a catch all exception. Thing. And what it does on my machine, it send, uh, saves it on a folder where OS X can pick it up. And actually, if you opened it once, if you open the file in GraphWiz, then just like our DSL tool, it will be tracking changes. And as if, for instance, if you change something in your code, and then recompile it and then rerun this test, and the test graph changed, then GraphWiz will redraw the graph.
0: When you look at an end unit, the first line has you know some normal stuff. It looks like you would begin the copy from the end unit test runner, uh, the word di graph g or something, and you start from there and copy it, right?
1: The file is a simple text file with just some text data in specific syntax.
0: Yeah, so I think anyone listening, if an N unit, you would probably just ignore the very first line in end unit that says e4 uh, dot domain dot tech document fixture dot test. Right below it, the next line is di graph g squiggly, I believe that's the beginning of its custom language probably, paste it into the file, save it as blob.dot, and open it in GraphWiz and see the really cool diagram you get of the factory's uh, commands and, and everything. It's uh, pretty cool. You see the specs yeah. and everything.
1: Okay, uh, so what this diagram is, it is a simple representation, one of actually uh, multiple representations. Uh, that you can generate from your code based on specifications or some simple reflection. In this case, reflection is relatively minimal. And what it does, it takes every command that we have. For every command, which is represented by blue circle, uh, for each of the commands, place specifications on the left, uh, which are actually like use cases. So, for instance, if you are looking at assign employee to factory, on the left side you will see assign employee to factory uh, that uh, empty factory allows any employee not vendor to be assigned. That duplicate employee name is assigned but not allowed. No employee name vendor is allowed to be assigned, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. So, this, uh, this uh, describes use cases that are associated with the command assign employee to factory. Use cases or the stories or the different behaviors. Naturally and ideally, all distinct behaviors that are implemented within method of aggregate with event sourcing all these behaviors will have at least one associated unit test and uh, because they will have associated unit test they'll have a representation on this diagram so this uh, blue circle or ellipses uh, it has outgoing arrows mm-hmm. in this case, the outgoing arrow uh, leads either to a valid event or to an exception
0: Oh, cool. So the exception is the ellipse and the event is the rectangle. Yes. That's really uh, cool. Uh,
1: so uh, here, first of all, the, uh, the colors that we are following, uh, that everywhere in uh, my diagrams uh, consistently commands are blue because they are shy because you don't know in a command succeed or fail. Nice. Events are green. Because they're uh, already done, that's something that has happened. And when it's green, you have to live with it. Yeah. Like you can't change the stuff that happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and the errors probably should have been uh, pink. I didn't have time to recall them.
0: <laughs> right, pink, red or something. But yeah. No, but this is this is really cool, Renat. The, just being able to see our specifications diagrammed out visually like this Brings the, brings the story like to a whole new level, for me anyway, my understanding of it. like It's much easier to consume it like this than scrolling through a giant .cs file or something.
1: Yes, absolutely. It, basically, what we're leveraging here is that specifications and our code base is just one of the ways to represent real-world domain. And this representation, uh, we're trying to keep as coherent as possible with core business concepts. And more coherency we have in this representation. Deeper there will be a binding between our code and real-world business values. And it will mean that the code will not be fragile and that it will be easily translatable to multiple representations. And here, this is just one of the possible representations for the, this code. And since we took so much effort, to craft command names, event names, or even uh, domain errors and tests of the code specifications, Uh, since we took so much effort to do that. So uh, multiple representations that are possible, they are already inherently more or less readable and understandable. And they just just help your brain to make slightly more sense out of the stuff that uh, we put in.
0: Yes, I can see... This is just really cool. And the magic that's creating this um, GraphWiz data file is all inside documentfixture.cs inside the test project?
1: Yes. So in essence, that's just uh, one additional micro framework, which is not just a framework, but rather a .cs file. Did you write that? Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Nice job, man. I got to give you some props for this. This is is pretty cool.
1: (laughs) I like Uh, it. I think it happened not out of the good thing, but uh, our team was complaining and rightfully so about the complexity of one of our solutions, mm-hmm. one of our systems. Uh, and somewhere around there, while trying to prove them that the system is not as complicated, <laughs> uh, I think the story goes like this. So uh, I just wrote the damn thing. And it was a way to just show that the complexity in certain systems, if you're looking at it, from, for instance, from one angle, the system might be overwhelming mm-hmm. in a system that is based on aggregates with event sourcing. If you have stripped, for instance, DDD classes and maybe even stripped uh, specifications or made them unreadable, and you just had this whole set of message uh, and events contracts, which are in our case are regenerated automatically and uh, hence are inherently uh, replaceable and irrelevant. And actually, if in that imaginary overcomplicated solution, not only you Stripped DDD and readable specifications. But you also put every single command and event in a single quest. So imagine that uh, the solution with uh, 100 or 200 commands and events instantly getting 200 new files. Yeah, And the developer uh, just going in and trying to look at that and trying to make sense of that, it would uh, not make much sense. However, if in your mind you have a really established structure, or different layers, where things that look the same, that act the same, or that somehow can be aggregated together are actually aggregated, and this aggregation is enforced. And if you had a way to represent, at least in your mind, or better on the paper, or different tools, uh, different aspects of this aggregation, or different aspects of the system based on different levels of aggregation, then such system would uh, make more sense. So uh, from this perspective, this ability to print some part of the functionality as a graph. It certainly helps here. It also helps you to identify the places that might uh, be ugly. For instance, if some of the specifications are too tightly coupled or you have arrows that are crossing too much, then maybe your code is ugly, just because it happens to print ugly diagrams or ugly uh, specifications.
0: Can you give me, like, because I see that in the diagram, and when when you guys check this out, we'll have a link to this picture uh, in the notes, but one example of the arrows crossing is when you look at the assign employee to factory command at the top, that's the blue ellipse, you see one of the arrows coming out at the bottom going all the way down to factory is not open. So that's the that's just telling me that there's a shared error message for this command that other ones use as well.
1: Mm. So in this case, it's perfectly valid. Mm -hmm. Well, you might want to uh, define slightly different domain names just for the sake of uh, separating these parts, but within the aggregate, as we've learned, dependencies are okay. Okay. Uh, The really complicated story that I'm I'm talking about was actually about, I think it's salescast 2 at Locat, where we have multiple aggregates and also these aggregates are linked together via the uh, event handlers, which at some point were called ports at some different point in time, and universally called receptors. Uh, there are also projections, and when we well, not me, Vsevo, uh, uh, one of our developers in UFA uh, plotted that on diagram, there was a huge huge mess. And uh, based on that mess, it was uh, instinctive desire to somehow split this complicated diagram into more decoupled or bounded blocks. By reducing, maybe by getting rid of some arrows, uh, maybe by uh, explicitly showing relationships uh, between blocks, it was possible to reduce the complexity. Yeah, this is so, really cool. Uh, so if your representation at any level uh, of the code doesn't make sense, then that is an indication uh, that something might be wrong with the design. And actually by uh, looking at such representations with imaginary red flags, you can actually find a ways to break down really complicated byte into something smaller and more manageable and more eatable in one byte.
0: It would be fun to see you take our domain and intentionally mess it up just to see how ugly the diagram comes out.
1: <laughs> well don't estimate uh, my ability to make things really complicated. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because, uh, I mean, it's hard to—obviously, you can't see this if you're listening to this, but it's literally as if the specifications and the commands and events and the error messages that we had in Episode 14 have magically created their own Visio diagram-looking thing that's organized with arrows. So what what's really stands out to me is we intentionally—I intentionally added a ton of comments and really long names and everything to E14 and, and prior example projects because— I was trying to remember and learn as I went. So I was sort of taking my homework notes inside of the source code file and it was getting hard to read a little bit. It was a little too cluttered and I had regions. And even though I got them out of the way, it was still cluttered and sort of getting hard to read and it was annoying me. And by spitting it out in this diagram, all that goes away and and I'm focused exactly on the stuff I care about. Here's a plain sentence of a specification, a a unit test, a fixture, whatever you would... What would you actually technically call that? The thing in the diagram that says... Assign employee to factory. Empty factory allows any employee, not vendor, to be assigned. What, what is that technically? Is that a fixture? No, that's the unit test, I guess.
1: Uh, the fixture, it's a term from uh, a unit. It's mm-hmm. a class that contain multiple tests.
0: Oh, okay. That's right. You said that before.
1: So fixture, uh, in this case, and in our cases, fixtures, they map to a single command. Mm-hmm. Yep. And test is just one uh, specific specification.
0: Yeah, so the assign employee to factory colon is part of is the common fixture. The empty factory allows la 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 is the specific test in that fixture. Yes. When you remember that and you look at the diagram, it's pretty easy to see how it's all going on. Really cool stuff, man. Good job. <laughs>
1: Thanks. So uh, I've been experimenting with other ways to visualize dependencies. So maybe in further episodes, we'll, we'll try to, if I manage to make them more readable and uh, less com- uh, complex than they are right now. We'll uh, introduce them as well. However, uh, let's move on to one additional way of visualizing uh, behaviors within an aggregate uh, with event sourcing. Okay. Uh, it's test console. Uh, in the samples, it will be called just console project. Just started. And that was actually the screenshot of the thing that I was uh, teasing people with uh, on the Twitter
0: the project in the, in the sample code, whatever that ends in .console, that's the interactive command yeah. prompt kind of thing. Cool.
1: Uh, let's say we'll call it a test console in the final code.
0: Test.console, okay.
1: Okay. So it is a dead simple interactive shell which accepts command line input, and you can play with it. Uh, in this test interactive shell, it's an application, and this application actually contains in-memory container which hosts our, in this case, one single uh, factory application service, in-memory, wired to in-memory event store. Mm-hmm. And it's also wired to in-memory Blueprint library. So if you type in help, it will show uh, multiple commands that are available within this console. <laughs> we'll not go into the details of how commands are implemented, how like this entire shell framework, quote-unquote, is done, because it's something really that simple. Mm-hmm. You can just look into the code, and I think there will be just free classes there, or at least free files there. Program, console environment, and console action. Program is just a loop that does uh, well true We read a line from the user input and try to parse it through the uh, console actions. And console action is just a standalone class that knows how to read parameters from the input and try to execute that. And while uh, we find matching console action by the keyword, which is the first word in our sentences, and as soon as it is matched, we'll pass console environment to the console matching console action. Console environment, in this case, is our micro-inversion of control container in one class. Just uh, one class that contains instances of uh, event store, of factory application service, of uh, in-memory blueprint library, and logger.
0: And so, because this is another way to represent our commands and events and domain or whatever you want to call it, it's another way to visualize it. In practice, what do you end up using this interactive console to to exercise, to use? Like, what does this technique help you with?
1: Uh, this specific interactive uh, console helps really to visualize behaviors and interactions within factory application service in production, and also. This idea was actually uh, shamelessly borrowed, I promise to give it back, from Greg's event store. Mm-hmm. Their event store test client, which is far more robust, and they're actually using it to interact with remote event store, to send messages, to benchmark it, to load test it. And my first attempt to take that uh, was actually uh, went into the data platform, so we have a relatively similar similar impl- implementation of test client there, and this test client allows to interact with the data platform server. It allows to run benchmarks. It allows to, for instance, uh, tell the remote store to reset, tell tell the remote store to verify some contents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the most important part here is not the console, it's not the implementation, it's not the dead simple design that goes into that uh, console or implementation. It's the level of interactivity and support that it provides for the developers when you need to debug, test, or somehow interact with the server. And for systems that are based on messaging, for instance, some samples of commands that can help developers make their life easier and that can help just to deal with uh, real-world production problems or simple development, uh, these examples are uh, load a view, any view as a JSON document uh, given its ID. Or send a command. Send will send a command to the server. Or load last ten events from the event store. Or verify the server behavior. Or print server version, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And obviously, you can add commands that are really specific to the domain. For instance, uh, create new project, and then you'll have three parameters that are specific to this create new project command.
0: Do I need to use this console? Like in the proper order, or does each command stand on its own kind of?
1: In this case, the well, the commands are kind of a, big, a bit mixture. Mm-hmm. The commands that are associated with factory domain, mm-hmm. basically these commands or uh, console actions, there will just create a new instance of command and pass it to the uh, aggregate, pass it to the application service. So if you mess up the order, okay, then the code in it, you 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 already know what will happen. Mm-hmm. Because there might be a domain error in the application service, exactly as it was coded.
0: I know you are you need to catch a train home or you're stuck in the office tonight. So what would be, like, give me a couple really cool commands to type in here just to sort of see, exercise this a little bit so people could follow along. And, like, how would you try this out if you were typing into this thing?
1: Is help. Yep. Uh, the list of currently uh, registered and available commands. Mm-hmm. Command type story one. Story one.
0: Okay, and story one just spit out uh, a whole bunch of commands and events. and
1: Yes. So, uh, what, well, uh, I think it uh, spit out only the events. These events are readable. What it does, it uh, internally assigns, creates a few, a few instances of commands, and it sends them to the factory, to the uh, factory application service. And the stuff that you uh, see printed on the console is actually events that the factory uh, service would have published then. So uh, we know that the factory number one, the aggregate which will which is stored in the event store by uh, ID one and happens to contain events for this factory, it has already some history. So now, if you try to type hire space one uh, space Yoda,
0: okay, hire space one space Yoda. Sure. New worker joins our forces, Yoda.
1: Then type hire1yoda uh, again. Okay.
0: And I give my error. You know, that employee name is already taken, as we would expect when we're running our normal tests.
1: So that's exactly So uh, this test console provides you, in this specific case, to provide you with capability to play with, a, with your behavioral code and maybe test other scenarios. Mm-hmm. Or it also provides a capability for other people to yeah. play with console, maybe domain experts, and ask really big questions. What would you do when this happens? What would you do when this happens? Mm-hmm. Or, so for instance, if you type hire to Yoda, it would actually try to send a command like assign new employee to factory number two. And I would guess that there should be an error factory not open.
0: No, we, it let me do it. So we did something wrong, but it did let me. It just responded new worker joins our forces, Yoda. <laughs> I said hire space two space Yoda, and it let me yep. do it.
1: Uh, did you open the factory previously? Did oh, I, I
0: did open the factory previously, yeah, before, yeah.
1: So uh, type hire 666 Yoda.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, air factory is not open. Yep, I, for, I had forgotten that while you were talking, I messed around with the open command. So that's why it worked.
1: <laughs> so uh, among the commands that currently are there, there is a, a hire command, there is a command ship to uh, transfer ship into cargo bay, there is command unpack. Uh, Unpack difference from the cargo bay. There is command reg. Uh, reg command it allows to interact with the test uh, blueprint service and register or unreg register new dis- car- designs. And this console is configured in such a way that it uh, comes with a design for model uh, dash T, which involves four wheels, one engine, and one chassis.
0: Mm-hmm. And what's really fun about it, I mean, it's literally like having your own domain DOS prompt, guys. Like yeah. it's, it's like a, co- it's a con- console for your domain and messing around with the, the commands as if, you, uh, like you would in a, a Unix console or DOS console. It's pretty, pretty cool.
1: If you wanted to have uh, an on really complicated online RPG game, not online, uh local uh, RPG game. Okay. Here's uh, something that you can use.
0: Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Time Wanna- check. What time do you have to leave to not miss the train, dude?
1: technically missing the train, it's uh, discovering that the metro will be locked and I'll have to sleep on the couch in the office. But so far, I still have a few minutes left.
0: Okay, just watch it.
1: <laughs> so, to finish this discussion, then uh, this, as you probably noticed, this can, you can put almost anything into the console actions. So, the story action, it actually publishes multiple commands to the application service. And one of the things that you can use, for example, with your build continuous system and that's what we're using, for instance, for data platform and believe That's what Grep is using for his event store is to enable this console to run interactive scripts by loading a file or by uh, passing a single command as a parameter.
0: Yeah, it's like a domain batch file. <laughs>
1: Seriously. And this batch file, for instance, uh, you can have uh, an action, you can code an action. That will load a whole uh, bunch of commands from uh, your in, uh, production system or like that were snapshotted from the production system. Run them through your domain, uh, get the events out of it, and then compare events that were uh, produced by the latest code base with a predefined set of events that happened earlier. And Mm -hmm. if if there's a discrepancy, maybe we'll be able to catch it. Or it can also track performance. How many milliseconds does it take uh, to run this set of commands for the entire application service that many times?
0: You can, you I mean, can, they're all text. You could almost like check it into Git and have it tell you the differences if you wanted to, the output.
1: What else? Um, uh, among the commands, yeah. Uh, so uh, for this, uh, our dead simple domain, which is a test sample, we're just having dead simple commands that allow to interact with in memory wiring of a uh, domain. However, for more production systems, you'll have a console that will interact with running a remote the server, or it will uh, allow to launch a local instance of uh, DDD aggregates with event sourcing server, or do other sorts of things. And the whole and most important part here is to provide additional way for the developers to look up into the system, uh, be able to interact with it, be able to maybe check heartbeats or see how it behaves. Because when you're interacting with a system, when a system is not a black box, then you will learn how the system behaves. It will be much easier for you to spot bugs or to feel how things are working. And just uh, it will be easier to design, to maintain, and to handle all the weird scenarios.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. It's, uh, And I think that for those listening that aren't familiar with it, when Renat's been referencing the, quote, data platform, he's talking about a, a product Offering from Locad, the company he works for, that is taking advantage of uh, the stuff that we've been talking about today. So that's what that is.
1: It's open source stuff. I hadn't just uh, been talking about that much recently.
0: Yeah, so that's cool. But I mean, What's really awesome is if you have this thing running in production with it, your production code, whatever version's deployed, you literally, as a developer, can sort of... It's almost like telnetting into your domain model running in in the cloud or something and interacting with it as if it was like its own operating system or something. It's really cool.
1: And there are quite a few uh, even more interesting scenarios that we can handle that, but I guess we'll have uh, to talk about that later.
0: Yeah, if uh, if you don't want to be sleeping at your desk in the Ufa or sorry in the Paris locat office, you should probably st- shut me up now and run for the train. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we'll wrap that up here, guys. Uh, Renani final words before we go.
1: So uh, final words are: we covered three really simple topics, a really simple principle that can be used either with aggregates with event sourcing as done uh, in being divorced, or they can be taken away, ripped apart, and used as standalone. Uh, The core idea is your code is not all uh, is there. You can uh, look at the code in multiple different ways. You can twist it. You can reflect it. Or if you put a little bit more effort into the design, it will be much easier. And the code will itself lend its own information into various ways to slice and dice it. And by doing that, uh, get more insight and get deeper understanding of what the heck have we coded here.
0: So all of that early investment that seemed like we might have been taking a little too much time on it is yet another way is how it's paying off, and we're taking advantage of all that stuff.
1: Yeah, and we haven't uh, actually taken uh, advantage of all the things of uh, C-sharp code that we put, for instance, into the app. Some of the stuff will be quite a few episodes down the road.
0: Awesome. Uh, well, I don't think there's any specific homework other than download the s- sample, uh, check out the diagrams, and play with it yourself. You know, Go type help at the console when you execute it in the .console project. Uh, maybe open up NUnit and do the stuff I was doing in the, earlier in the episode, go through those steps. It really does help to see it pop up there. So for now, we're at beingtheworst.com, at beingtheworst on Twitter, and uh, I think that'll do it for us. Uh, sound good? Yep, sounds good. All right, cool. Thanks for uh, making the time. I hope you don't miss your train and enjoy the uh, Paris office of Locad while you're working there.
1: Thanks. And uh, the mystery of have I actually missed the train or haven't I, it will be revealed in the next episodes. Uh, Got to run now. Bye, (laughs) Bye. See ya. (laughs) Okay, I'm seriously running out.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Kerry with a quick correction and comment that I added while editing this episode. During the discussion with Renat, we kept referring to the program that generates the visual graph diagrams as GraphWiz with a W, but we meant GraphViz with a V. You can download that application at graphviz.org. I've already teased Renat about the difference between a W and a V, but I still can't say anything useful in Russian. In addition, as you may have seen on Twitter, Renat did in fact catch the last train of the evening in Paris and did not have to sleep in the LOCAD office that night. That said, I just didn't want anyone confused by looking for the program under the wrong name. I am at KC Street on Twitter, and Renat is at Abdulin. Take care, and thank you for participating.